0: I'm Robin Amlo of IBS Intelligence, and I'm joined by Guy Metric, Global Industry Lead Financial Services of Appian. And Guy, we're talking about 2021, and I don't know whether this sounds like a good thing or not. But you think it's going to be the year that AI takes over, um, artificial intelligence takes over. What
1: do you mean by that? Well. I- It's interesting when we talk about artificial intelligence and what we mean by that. And clearly, you've got a lot of solutions out there that provide value to the banking industry that are very focused on specific elements of the process. And really, that's what still artificial intelligence is really all about. I I call it applied intelligence because it's there to do a specific process or uh, perform a specific service within a broader process or enterprise. And I think that certainly what you're going to see in 2021 is a much wider use of this applied uh, AI across both retail, corporate, institutional banking. As these technologies become much more prevalent And the output that they're able to do through the learning around the machine learning becomes much more effective and accurate. And I think it's interesting to see how the number of these companies that are providing these applied AI uh, has grown, I think, over the last few years. I think now is really where it is getting sort of an unstoppable momentum. And I don't know if that's been because of some of the drivers around COVID-19 over the current year, but certainly I think the use of technology has increased because of a number of different challenges that organizations are are facing. And I think that applied AI, in the wide variety of use cases that you can think of around fraud detection, KYC, intelligent document processing, strong authentication, anti-money laundering all of these areas i think benefit from the use of effective ai and i think now that the the, the case has been proven and organisations are starting to invest in these technologies in a significant way
0: well we'll get into detail on some of the things you've just mentioned in a moment but if we look back to 2020 briefly what we have seen because of the pandemic is a compression in acceptance and a compression in implementation of a number of technologies, the way it's been put to me on several occasions, and I've put it to other people, is that you had in 10 months, almost 10 years of acceptance by consumers. And by consumers, I'm not talking just about individuals, but also corporates. You've had 10 years of acceptance of new ways of doing things digitally, of new technologies that have been implemented by financial institutions. And of course, you've had new threats and new issues as well, because everybody has been, to an extent, working in unprotected environments because they've been working from home rather than behind the office firewall or whatever. That brings me to the first of the points I'd like to pick up on that you mentioned, and that's AI-powered fraud detection. This is something that is going to be necessary, not just because of the new normal of the way people work, but because of the new threats. What's happening there?
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I think what COVID has rightly, as rightly, as you rightly assess, has done is, is speeded up the rate of change at which organizations need to adapt. It has also, I think, and there's been a lot of news coverage about this, increased opportunities for fraud and for scamming and phishing attempts by organizations or individuals who are looking to gain from the inevitable issues that have create been created through this change program. And technology, I think has been, as you say, widely, more uh, become way, much more broadly accepted as a way of helping organizations manage this. One of the things that we, we just touched upon a little uh, while ago was how specific elements of technology can be used within processes which are in place today. So you can see examples of voice analytics being used in call centers to do real time analytics on whether The person that the call centre operative is on the phone to is potentially lying or not and using that as a basis for either a credit decision, if it's an application for a loan and in combination with the more traditional credit checks that you would run through as part of your due diligence process. I think that's one example. I think you're also starting to see much more sort of analytics around things like social media as well to build up an idea of whether the individual that you're engaging with or potentially engaging with is the the right profile of customer that you want to have within your organisation. And you're right, this increase is not just focused on the retail side of the industry. You've also got a huge amount of effort and work going into corporate and institutional banking, as they look to run through processes to make sure that they're doing the correct level of risk assessment within their target customer audience. And this is not just about fraud, but also around things like anti-money laundering, financial crime, and being able to identify potential customers before they are onboarded that might be, for instance, a shell company being able to look at the history of transactions that organisation has made, being able to analyse the data in such a way as to detect whether those organisations have been created just for the purpose of money laundering, for instance, or fraud, or whether they are a genuine organisation of business that the bank would want to do business with. I think the machine learning algorithms that are being used and deployed to try and make the, these connections with these data elements are becoming more and more sophisticated. We're seeing organizations deploying solutions that are starting to bring together not just things like transaction patterns that might indicate fraud, but starting to make the links between individuals and organizations, transactions, locations where these organizations are based and starting to make intelligent links between various different elements either within the organization itself and combining that with data that's available from external services and solutions and when you start to bring all of those different elements together then you start to get some very valuable insight And then from that insight, then you can start to manage your AML, KYC, fraud detection processes much more effectively.
0: One of the things that you've been, it seems to me, telling me in all that is that the business is getting more complex, which brings me to the the issue of operational resilience. We have to make sure that processes are robust and that they stand up. But I see from the notes I have here that you think there's going to be a shift from surviving to
1: thriving. So COVID-19, I think, is an example of a driver for change. It's not the only example. Clearly, there are others, regulation, technology, evolution, customer trends. All of these are examples of why organisations need to adapt What's really happened and what's really driven the concerns around operational uh, resilience is the speed at which this change is now taking place. And I think that the opportunities, the windows to adapt to change has shrunken considerably. And therefore, organisations need to have certain elements within their business that allows them to change effectively and that you could break that down into three different elements you could break that down into how do they manage the decision to change within their organization and this can be quite problematic for very large global organizations because they tend to not make these kind of decisions very quickly because they have so many different layers they have so much complexity within their organizations so it's about how you manage the the principle. Of change within the organization to be able to then make those implementations or make those adaptions to your operational functions so that they can then become more resilient. And I think that part of the problem there is the diversity and complexity of the decision making processes. Technology can help with that. Technology can also help with how you then implement that change because manual processes are very problematic when you come to things like remote working. Manual handoffs using documentation now becomes a real issue for organizations when you're starting to have a decentralized workforce. That is a, a, an example where technology that's able to capture and automate those manual processes, especially if it's architected in the right way, can actually start to help and benefit your organization. So you can now see a situation where you can now start to do things like follow the sum processing. As one operational center closes down, you can hand that work onto the next uh, region within your organization that then continues that processing. And you can do that in a way Using technology that manages all of the SLAs, manages the KPIs, gives the organization the visibility on the processes that they have in play so that work doesn't get missed or lost or deadlines get missed or lost. And that is a hugely important part of managing this change process and being resilient, both from an organizational perspective, uh, but from a technology perspective as well. And I think certainly this whole idea of cloud solutions, I think, is going to be very supportive of this operational resilience as you look to be able to scale up, scale down, as you look to have even shorter failover and recovery time periods within your cloud strategy. All of these elements will help organisations become more resilient in the future. How important is the adoption of a low-code solution? Low-code platforms such as Appian, I think, are going to be the development environments of the future. And the reason I say that is because, again, when organizations are going through change, they are needing to evolve their solutions, evolve their processes in a much uh, shorter time period. Low-code platforms allow you to do that. They allow you to do it in two ways. First of all, they actually are able to build applications much more quickly than traditional code-based capabilities. And the reason is because you are actually not having to programmatically program applications. You're able to use a mouse to do process visualization, drag functionality into a process in order to build your end-to-end application. This dramatically shortens the process and the time taken in order to build solutions. But it does one other thing as well, which is also very important. What it does is it now allows your business subject matter experts to collaborate with those project and IT teams using a language that both sides can understand. And that wasn't possible before when you were using Java and .NET because it is a very specialized language. Now you can have business experts who are helping their project teams through this visual process to build applications, that really shortens the decision-making time. That allows you to much more quickly prototype applications and put them into production use. And then once they're in production use, it's a much shorter timescale to evolve them to meet changing business and regulatory requirements. And I think that's the huge advantage that low-code platforms will give you. And we talk very much about this concept of hyper-automation, and it's about bringing together various different technologies that all come together to allow you to iterate and change applications at a, at a pace that, quite frankly, we've not been able to do before. It's this whole idea of being able to bring in case management, workflow, AI, RPA, this idea of data anywhere, being able to access data from other systems, other solutions and be able to consume that within a process without having to go through huge data migration projects. All of these different elements are are applicable for a local platform and allow you to actually achieve those benefits that organizations now need to have as part of their suite of capabilities. Geometric Global Industry Lead Financial Services of Appian thank you very much